Does my life matter? Imagine trying to answer that question and trying to do it with only a composite person, a toy circuit board, and a terrarium full of Panamanian golden frogs. That's us tonight. Well, except we've got a few more things to work with, and that's great because the question is so important, and to really get at it, we've got to break it down into its elements. What are we in the first place? Yeah, I can get that people matter, but my life in particular, the fact that I still can't find my wallet or that I got that thing done at work two days ahead of schedule, does that matter? And we'll raise you one. We'll even give you a couple metaphysical ways your life matters that you might not have even known were on the table. So the question is, with all the seemingly meaningless and mundane in life, with all the prosaic and confusing and against the context of billions of other human beings and the vast scale of existence, do we actually matter? Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. Thanks for hanging on over the break. We're going to ask some of the big questions today. My name is Curtis Childs. I'm the host, and uh, I'm going to ask those questions with you. And the main question, as you may have heard or seen when you looked at the title screen in that intro, we're going to look at today is, does my life matter? Yeah. Yes, it does. Thanks, everybody. Okay. All right. New show, shorter format, right? No, but there's truth in that. I mean, of course your life matters. Of course people's lives matter. Why would we even want to discuss this in the first place? Well, because on the other hand, if you've lived life, you know that it's a big world that we're living in, and there's a lot of people, and the world seems to go on with you or without you, right? And no matter how good you are at anything, there's always somebody who's better than you at a particular thing. So how do you stand out? What do you really add to the bigger picture? But then back on the other hand, of course life matters. There's so much that goes on in the little moments of our lives, the things that we care about, the scenes that have meaning for us. Of course life matters, but but does it? I mean, is it doing something? Who Who says what matters and what doesn't matter? And, and what qualifies it? Is it is it actually building towards anything? Would the future of existence be the same without us if we weren't here? It sort of seems like an impossible equation. You know, uh, you have um, a vast universe plus tons of people plus this disparity in skills. Does that really equal individual value for us? Well, I know what we can do. Why don't we just add God into the equation, right? God made everybody. God loves everybody. That did it, right? Not not totally. I mean, still, why so many people? But also, I could get that every person is special, but why do we have to live the lives that we do then? Why do we have to go through things like getting stuck in traffic or, or <laughs> fender bender or whatever other traffic-related metaphors I can think of? Why do we have to go through that stuff? Uh, and is there really individual value? I mean, there should be, right? I mean, that emotionally, it seems to be that you'd ha- things have to matter. We have to matter. Um, how do we get there? The question we're going to be asking tonight is, can we plug Swedenborg into the equation? Everybody's favorite 18th century scientist and spiritual explorer is what he found and recorded the missing information that helped us square this circle. We're going to find out, and to get at it, we've got to break things down into their elements. If you're going to ask, does my life matter? we got to start by asking, what are we in the first place? We're going to do that in part one.
You define your terms. Do we matter? What are we in the first place? And to, so this is a question, that how are you possibly going to answer what are we? Well, this is where, you know, the show takes on its Swedenborgian spin. And if we're going to answer anything through Swedenborg stuff, it's going to get complicated before it gets easy. And we're going to begin here with a little complexity. But this is an important... This thing we're about to read lays down two essential concepts that we have to know to move forward. So let's take a look. This is Divine Providence 65. If you want if you want this book, click this. You can download it for free yourself. I know, right? Uh, Since the whole heaven is like a single person in the Lord's sight, heaven is divided into as many inclusive bodies as there are organs, viscera, and members in us. And each larger community is divided into as many less inclusive or specific communities as there are major parts of our viscera and organs. We can see from this what heaven is like. Now, since the Lord is the essential person and heaven is an image of him, we refer to being in heaven as being in the Lord. The two points are, point number one, that heaven is organized like a human body with the same kind of interdependence, the same kind of specialization, the same need for a whole of diverse parts to be working together. There you got your point one. Your point two is that God is the essential person, according to Swedenborg, that that we are sort of echoes of this original person. It's not like we're people and God is something else. We, We are on this chain coming out of the source, which is the essence of the person. And having those concepts now in mind will allow us to somewhat understand a genuine angelic mystery. Yeah, that's right. You came here for the good stuff. We got it. As Swedenborg describes, this is an, a mystery of the angels, and it's going to help us forward our cause here. This is Divine Providence 66, just following that. This enables us to understand, to some extent, a mystery we call angelic. Namely, that every desire for what is both good and true is human as to its form. That is, whatever emanates from the Lord is a desire for what is good, because it comes from His divine love, and is a desire for what is true, because it comes from His divine wisdom. If God is a person like us, God has feelings, but the feelings aren't just shapeless surges of something spirity. They're human. God's intentions and feelings are human. And guess who those feelings are? us. So you're asking me, does my life matter? What is your life? You are the embodiment of a particular feeling of God, a part of divine love and wisdom in intention and action. So what does that mean and why do we come here? These are the questions we lead into. And we can, because we are this thing, we can see that we we are this uh, divine, uh, divine feeling embodiment we can see the world in a particular way that nobody else can. Hold on to that. That matters. To picture it in visual form, you have God, right? God is an essential person, and instead of just, we have we all like love things, God has divine universal love, and out of that comes all of us. We are parts of that unformed as a potential. We come into the earth, you know, not under the ground, but into the, the physical world, And there we begin to be able to assume form. And through the way we live, we work on, you know, covered in this earthly body while we're here, embodying and bringing shape to this feeling, that we actually become parts of a feeling that's not just a potential, but something that's lived out by being our own consciousness, how we think about things, how we feel about things. We shape our spirits in a way that allows us 
once we leave this earth with all our experiences and specificity to become part of this heaven that Swedenborg was talking about, this heaven that is like a person in its whole because all these little units are working together in it. And once you have that heaven, then it acts like heaven is like the body of God because we are all these little images of God, each honed in our own way, we become the elements of the divine acting in the universe. And each person, just like each part of the body is indispensable, each person is indispensable in their particular role. Uh, so that is uh, your first reason why you're important. You're, you're necessary for the functioning of, of everything. You are necessary for the functioning of the divine human, the source of all life, all right? So that's pretty cool, and there's a little bit more that Swedenborg describes about how we as pieces of this larger whole fit together and work together. This is from Divine Providence 67. Since we are by creation heavens in smallest form, and therefore images of the Lord, and since heaven is made up of as many desires as there are angels, each of which is a person as to its form, it follows that the constant effort in divine providence is for each of us to become a heaven in form and therefore an image of the Lord. Further, since this is accomplished by means of the desire for what is good and true, it is for us to become that desire. This, then, is the constant effort in divine providence. The very heart of providence, though, is that we should be in some particular place in heaven or some particular place in the divine heavenly person and therefore in the Lord. This is what happens for people whom the Lord can lead to heaven. Since the Lord foresees this, he also constantly provides for it, with the result that all of us who are allowing ourselves to be led to heaven are being prepared for our own places in heaven. So does my life matter? What is your life? Your life, according to Swedenborg, is this constant preparation and shaping for this particular place in heaven where you are going to be able to contribute in a way that nobody else can. And interesting that in that quote, he didn't just say we already are these desires from God, it's that we're supposed to become that desire. That's what life is, that we have. We are born the potential to be the embodiment of this particular form of love and wisdom, but it's through the experiences of life that we actually are able to become it, that we're actually shaped or formed into just the right piece to make that connection in heaven that serves the greater whole. And if you don't believe me, I have indisputable proof of it right here. Look at this. There's a little shape. This is a little thing that was made and was formed. Why? Why is it like this? Why isn't this thing bigger? Why doesn't this have more little knobbies on it? What? Why is this thing of any consequence? Well, it's the consequence you see in it, it has to do with context and destiny. Because this thing, in its destiny, goes over here, which I'll show you. Yeah, this is a circuit right? We want to spin this fan. I'm in here in the studio talking about Swedenborg. Gets me all worked up. I need to cool down a little bit. But if I switch this thing on, nothing, man, nothing. But because of this little shape, because of exactly what this piece is, because of how it was formed, not just on the outside, not just how it's shaped, but all the little components in here, it allows it to perfectly link everything together and in such a way that there is function here 
that wasn't there before. Ah, yeah, and now I can cool off my hands, and that will cool me, the rest of me off, and I'll chill out. Do you see the importance? You see that shape? Well, that's, we are those little snap circuits. We're like that, according to Swedenborg. This is from his book, Last Judgment 12, uh, and <clears throat> it's where he talks about the importance of numbers and of, and of connections. Heaven's perfection increases as the number of its inhabitants increases. This follows from its form, which determines the patterns in which people associate and the ways communication flows there. Heaven's form is the most perfect form of all. And in the case of the most perfect form, the more people there are, the more there is a shared motion toward oneness among them. And they are therefore joined together more closely and harmoniously. So every piece increases that closeness and that harmony, meaning you. This is part of what you're contributing. But he says even more in this second part, the harmony and consequent joining together increase as the numbers increase because each new constituent there is placed between two or more others in order to connect them together. Therefore, the new element provides strength and connection. Heaven's form is like the form of the human mind, whose perfection grows as the mind gains more goodness and truth, leading to greater intelligence and wisdom, which is shown by a lot of articles about uh, neural connections, and the more you build these these talking points between the different cells in your brain, the better things get. There's one there, but do you see the importance of every person? Everyone completes circuits. We all are these little guys here, right? and that heaven is less without us. And this one looks like a few of these other circuits, right, in this physical example, but the way it really plays out on a spiritual level with human beings, we are the only people who can fill our particular place. So there is a, a spot in heaven for us that that we are the only way that's going to get that circuit's going to get made. And it's the experiences in our lives that shape us into that. We begin with this potential to become this embodied feeling of God, right? This this way to think and feel about life that that doesn't exist anywhere but beside us. But it's through the experiences of life that the Lord is working in His providence to shape us into this perfect fit, because we don't necessarily start out that way, right? We have good and bad days, but here we're going to show you through through another form of indisputable proof, which is a shaped cartoon, how the different things in life slowly take a shape that's rough at the beginning, refine it and refine it and refine it until it has its perfect fit in its home. So this is the journey we all go on.
we're on a course toward our own heart-shaped hole in the wall, <laughs> in the happy wall, and we get there through life. Is your life important? Yeah, it is, because it is always leading you towards this essential, eternal belongingness with the rest of the human race, and we're all pulling for you, because if you get into your spot, you make life better for the rest of us, just like we make life better for you when we get there. All right, you may, so maybe you grant me the premise of this first section, that, that on a grand scale, life does matter. But w- what about the day-to-day stuff? You know, everything that we have to grind through on a daily basis. Is that really necessary? How does that contribute to the shaping of everything? Why don't we just fast forward to the good parts? We're going to take a look at that in part two. Because the question, does my life matter, doesn't even necessarily mean, do I matter as a particular individual, but my life, like the course that it's taken, the fact that I live here or, or live there, uh, the fact that I have this particular employment or not, well, does that matter? Does that matter in its little, in the little minutia of what we go through day to day? Well, yeah, it does. That's kind of the theme of this show. Each moment in life is important because if the quest or the goal is to allow providence to shape us into being who are destined to be every moment is a chance to become what swedenborg calls goodwill a form of goodwill which this is the best potential for us the the, the process of spiritual growth or regeneration all comes down to this goodwill and us moving into it and every moment we have the tools to practice goodwill and the more we practice it the more we move forward in our process. So these are the tools, if we're looking at how do we become this embodiment of God's heart and mind. This is from True Christianity 435. Now it's all capitalized because it's a title heading, but he often gives you good concepts just in the title headings. The first step towards goodwill is removing evils. The second step is doing good things that are useful to our neighbor. So that's like your primary chisel. If you're going to move from being, a, you know, an irregular shape, ooh, man, I, I warped into another dimension for a second there. Move from being a regular shape into the right shape to fit. Or if you're going to, as the sculptors say, take everything out of the block of marble that, that isn't supposed to be there, and then you get the sculpture. All right, and there's a little further on that. This is True Christianity 437, and it says, oh, hey, I got to get out of the way. There, thanks. Uh, sorry, I just got this new um, format. It's hard. I, I haven't really practiced my lateral movements. The first step toward goodwill is to remove evils, and the second step is to do good, because there is a law that is universal to the spiritual world, and also, therefore, to the physical world. The less evil we intend, the more good we intend. And that might sound both simple and dramatic. Simple because, okay, yeah, don't do bad do good. But to break things down into good or evil, that seems so intense. You know, how often are we actually faced with good or evil in our lives? How does that explain the little things we have to just go to work and do our daily stuff when there's not some active heroism around the corner? Swedenborg says that no, this this struggle, this shaping process plays out actually most potently in the day-to-day situations. And just our showing up in those situations with these tools is the force that does the most work in the process. This is True Christianity 423. Goodwill is doing good to our neighbor daily and constantly. Not only to our neighbor as an individual, but also to our neighbor collectively. 
The only way to do this is through practicing goodness and justice in our position and work with the people with whom we have any, any interaction, because these are things we do every day. When we are not doing them, they still stay in our minds all the time. We think about them and intend to do them. And through that regular practice, it becomes entrenched. People who practice goodwill in this way become better and better forms of goodwill, which is, this is the purpose, the form of goodwill. Justice and faithfulness shape their minds, and the practice of goodwill shapes their bodies. Over time, because of their form, they get to the point where everything they want and think about relates to goodwill. None of us hereditarily does these things for the sake of goodness and justice. Therefore, only when people worship the Lord and function from the Lord, they seem to be functioning on their own. Do they attain spiritual goodwill and become saturated with it as a result of constant practice. To become saturated through constant practice is not what it is when you say, oh, I, you know, maybe somebody will be trapped on the subway and I'll have a chance to, uh, you know, like below a subway car and have a chance to save them, that's good or evil, or there's, I go to visit an impoverished area and, and work there for a couple of weeks. Those are cool. It's great to do that, especially if, if I'm the one who falls in the subway, I would really appreciate it, but that's not where the bulk of, of life work is actually done. It's daily, constantly. It's things in your work and in your routines that allow us to most fully practice goodwill. How is that possible? Well, let's take a look. Let's let's play a little game, you know, liven things up here, and it's actually that party game uh, that we all love, Wheel of Situations. So on the right-hand side here, you see forms of goodwill. This is defined by Swedenborg. There are these areas we can practice goodwill in, our daily work and interactions, our acts of kindness, our obligations, and our recreations. And we're going to see how these seemingly meaningless situations actually fall into these categories. So let me spin this wheel here. Um, Grab the top of it. All right. Oh, hey, that's heavier than I thought it would be. All right. What are we going to land on? What are we going to explore and explain? Finishing that report at work. Let's say you have a task. It's not something that's directly going to save the world. Does it matter? Yes. Swedenborg says this would fall under daily work and interactions. That if we approach that, whatever our job is, even if it's less than inspiring, if we say, I'm going to try to do the best job at this that I can to bring goodness to the people I can bring, and if we conduct ourselves in a positive manner with the people we're working with, uh, you know, within reason, that is charity. And Swedenborg says particularly that, that what we contribute to society through the thing we spend, you know, the bulk of our time doing, that matters. You know, whatever your job is, it matters that you approach it with this mindset of, ultimately, I want to do this the best I can to help the human race. All right, so that may be a relatively easy one. Let's check another scenario. One, two, three, spin. All right. Oh, yeah, that was me lifting it up, then pushing it down. This is going to be a good one. I can just tell. Paying the bills. Um, how is that? Why, why do we have to jump through these little hoops? Right? Why do we have to repeatedly take care of things? Swedenborg gives, says this is a category of goodwill called obligations. Doing the things we need to do just to keep society going, just to keep our functions, you know, cleaning up around the house, um, what, you know, whatever it is. Or if your job is taking care of your home, there's other things that still fall under this just stop all the way at a stop sign. The things that we need to do to make society work, done with the spirit behind them of wanting to create a livable world for the rest of the human race, those are important, and it shows uh, consistency and our willingness to put ourselves through things that are relatively mundane in order to 
help the human race. That actually can be very important. All right, we got or do for do. Let's check out our next one. Here we go. Is this one going to stump us? I don't know. No, nothing could stump us. It would be easy. Everything's got... Oh, playing video games. This one has got to be meaningless, right? Everyone's wasting their time doing this. No. Recreations. Human beings are built so that we need to be just having fun every once in a while. We need to be recharging ourselves. If... If, they're an end, if having fun is your purpose in life, that's not going to be that great. But if you are doing things you love in order to recharge yourself with an eye towards contributing to humanity once you get back to your other duties, taking care of yourself, having fun is a great thing to do. And if the more you're thinking of it in the context of the larger things you bring to the human race, that this is recharging myself so that I can go serve others, the better it goes. And, and, you know, playing video games may be your job. In that case, it would fall under number one, right? So do you see everything fits somewhere within this process of service? We'll just do one more, just because we got, we just because we can. Who's going to stop us? We're already live on the air. And this last one is none other than, oh, you thought it was going to go to school. It's food shopping. Now, look at this. This lights up basically the whole board, because not only could it fall under obligations, you know, you have to go and you have to get food, but it could also be a part of daily work and interactions. We're seeing people there. Maybe, yeah, like I said, maybe part of your job is to provide food for the family uh, or, or whoever you're taking care of. But also, look at the middle one, acts of kindness. Here's an opportunity. You're at the supermarket. There are other people, you know, who want the last, uh, the last pack of Turkish dates, just like you do. There's an opportunity to be kind to them there. There's an opportunity to be civil in the line. There's an opportunity to be civil to the cashier, right, when you're checking out. All of that is a chance to become more and more this form of who you are, this form of good. So it, when next time you're at the grocery store, you're looking at these people, any one of them could be becoming more and more fully a desire of God in that moment. And every little factor that goes in, the fact that we've had to do it many times, that we go do grocery shopping every week and it's boring in this way or we're tired in that way, those are all shaping the experience and they all can be a part of exactly what it's doing. Some of it we can understand, some of it we can't, but know that God is not just wasting time, that there's always work to be done in this pull towards us realizing our destiny in these little situations in your particular life. We, how much time do we spend imagining, wishing we had different lives than we do, but the lives we have are no accident. You, does my life matter? Your life, your circumstances matter. Helen Keller had a good comment on this, who just happens to be someone who is massively into Swedenborg in her own right. Unless we can help the world where we are, we could not help it if we were somewhere else. And technically, according to Swedenborg, we couldn't be anywhere else. So this is providence brought us to our particular situation, and it's bringing us through to try to do the most good for everybody. And we can be called to provide help in any situation. This is Secrets of Heaven 6737. He says, taking pity is a rush of love for one's neighbor received from the Lord. When we look with loving eyes on someone in misery, compassion rises in us. And because it comes from the Lord, it is an alert. What is more, when people with perception feel compassion, they know they are being advised by the Lord to help. So anytime in your situations where you feel this compassion, that's God. That's God moving through. And all of us are in relationships with people 
in ways that nobody else is with those particular people. We're in situations, in roles that nobody else is in. We have a little space that we can operate in that nobody else can, and not only is it doing good in that space for those people, for those situations, but it's also doing good for us. It's shaping us into being this perfect piece, this thing that's going to light up the circuit in heaven. All right. So does your life matter? Yes, it does. If that's not good enough for you, there's other stuff we're doing that we wouldn't have even known we could possibly doing be doing. And we're going to look at it in part three. So Swedenborg kept a journal of his spiritual experiences when he started to have them. And he was doing it on pretty much daily, sometimes more than that. And everything interesting that he came across, he put down there and cataloged. And getting a little bit farther on in that journal, in number 5003 specifically, he gives us the reason why we're alive. Meaning he writes out, why do certain people die when they do? Why do people stay alive when they do? Why do some people die young? Why do some people die old? Don't you want to know that? Well, it's right here. There are four reasons why people die as children, adolescents, adults, or old men and women. So here it is. Number one, on account of their use to people in the world. So, right, that's pretty standard. Uh, you know, if according to Providence, if we're helping people in a particular way, we need to be here rather than on the other side, we're here. We're skipping number two, because it's kind of the punchline for this section. Moving on to number three, on account of use, the use to themselves in the world, either so that they may be regenerated or so that they may be let into their own evils, lest they lie, as it were, asleep and later erupt, which would result in a person's eternal ruin. In other words, we need to be making our way through our own stuff here. So even if it's like, ah, oh, today was nothing. Not only did I not get anything done, I also lost my temper at somebody. Well, that's good. Well, it's not good. You better say you're sorry to that person. However, now you understand that you have a problem and that's part of what life is, is us understanding where our faults lie and not just loving them because they're ours, but wanting to say, because this is harmful, I want to work against it. That's part of the reason why we soldier on in this life, is this life is where we can make those kind of recognitions, recognitions and decisions. And then for thus on account of the subsequent usefulness in the other life after death into eternity. That's what we already talked about. You're going to be this little piece here that's going to help out heaven, right? But number two is something you probably never thought of, and he posits this as the second reason for us sticking around here, and it is exactly this. Ah, on account of their use to spirits and angels when in the world, because a person is with spirits as to his or her inward elements and is there with them as long as he or she is in the world. We, part of what we're doing here is providing services to spirits and angels, existential services. And you kind of think about that like, oh, angels are up there, we're down here, they kind of look down and help us when we need help, and we're we're relatively, we're, we're sort of like parasites almost on them. But Swedenborg describes a spiritual ecosystem in which the people living here in the physical world and those living in the spiritual world up through all the levels of heaven are dependent on each other for life. That just like we need heaven to exist, heaven needs us, right? So there is a there is a service you're providing you didn't even realize. Now, some people find meaning in feeding birds, like feeding the pigeons. So people will go to a park, you see it in movies, ah, oh, feeding the pigeons feels like something to me. So that would be, even that alone can satisfy a human being. But how would you feel if you knew that every day you are also feeding the angels? 
that you are actually contributing to the sustenance of heaven. How is that possible? I'll tell you, and I'll tell you in three quotes. The first one is Last Judgment 9, and they'll build one on the other. Uh, People who do not know the mysteries of heaven may believe that angels exist apart from us, and that we exist apart from angels, but I can solemnly testify on the basis of all my experience of heaven and my conversations with angels that no angel or spirit exists apart from humankind, and that no human being exists apart from angels and spirits. I can testify also that the way we are joined together is mutual and reciprocal. This leads to the prime conclusion that humankind and the, the heaven of angels make up a single whole, and depend on each other mutually and reciprocally for their existence, which means that neither can be parted from the other. We form a foundation for heaven, that we are are essential to this whole thing. Swedenborg even talks about us like the foundation in a house. But how? So if we're looking at is, is our life important, not only are we affecting people in the world and ourselves, we're helping the spiritual world exist. But how are we doing that? Some A clue in Secrets of Heaven 2953. For it is the ideas comprising our thoughts that serve as the objects which angels need for spiritual thought. thoughts. So we are in some way providing raw spiritual material for angels. And Swedenborg gets even more explicit about it here and the feeding that goes on in Divine Love and Wisdom 279. Angels say that they perceive what someone is like from a single deed through the image of someone's love, though the image of someone's love will vary depending on the way it finds definition in desires and therefore in thoughts. In brief, every one of the acts or deeds of a spiritual person is like a delicious, nourishing, and beautiful fruit to angels, a fruit that yields flavor, nourishment, and pleasure pleasure when it is sliced and eaten. So you are right now feeding the angels. You are literally, we don't know exactly how literally, but you are providing them sustenance. So uh, let's say I'm right here, right now, giving this show, right? So here I am, I'm talking, I'm thinking, I'm feeling, but I am also potentially, if I'm doing what I'm doing right now from a good origin, like I'm trying to actually help people with this, the things that I'm giving out or, or that are flowing through me or whatever are traveling their way into the spiritual world and being absorbed by heaven. And not only that, but angels can really dig it. You saw in that quote that they feel like this is not just I'm eating, you know, dry oatmeal. This is really good stuff and that we can be giving that off to them right now. So there we go. Does my life matter? Another way it matters is that you are providing the the heaven that we all need to exist with what it needs to exist. So you're part of this larger family than you could ever believe. And not only that, you may be just as valuable as a frog tank is. So, you know, here we go. That's that's nice. Surrounded by frogs. At the Detroit Zoo, there is a tank, an aquarium, a terrarium full of these guys. These are Panamanian golden frogs. And it's part of a species survival plan. It's not just so people can come and look at the frogs. It is because there's so f- little habitat for these guys in, in Panama and so little... Um, such a small population of them left that it's that the terrarium there is insurance because if all the frogs get wiped out in the wild, this collection and the, that and other zoos can bring the population back. So there's a specific kind of unique thought and feeling that can or, or, or organism that can only live there. But with us, our thoughts and feelings are like these spiritual animals. They are unique and they are living, and 
there are times when we're the only ones holding out. So it could be that not only are you providing things to heaven, but those things are things that only exist with you and that perhaps feed a part of heaven that only you can feed. And if you weren't around, that part of heaven would go dark, and then we would lose our connection. I mean, we would lose part of the whole. The whole would be less because of it. So you matter because not only are you cool, but you are keeping a special part of the greater whole alive, right? So that's the deal. Let's go back over it. This is our wrap-up here because we have uh, established in three parts what, how your life matters. Now, like I said, we're going to do our wrap-up. So, time to wrap up everything that we've learned here, and what we've learned is that your life does matter. At your essence, you are a particular feeling of God. Your life can be shaping you to become the embodiment of this desire of the divine, so you can help the human race in a way that nobody else can. Even in your daily activities, like when you're getting an oil change or going to work, you can be shaped into this in all these different ways. Not to mention, you are just by feeling and thinking and existing like you do, providing and feeding heaven and allowing this whole to continue. So no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you're up to, your life does matter. And it matters in this cosmic way. And we're all, as I said, glad that you are you, because you're going to be able to do something for us that none of us could do and it's going to be an awesome future and an awesome whole so i know that life is not always fun right sometimes it's absolutely a grind to get through what we're saying is hang in there because it matters and when life is really fun remember it's even better than it seems because it matters what we're doing here matters your life matters thanks for hanging out if you felt like this show mattered please like and subscribe what a Nice segue. And if you want to make programming like this possible, we're a nonprofit. We need your help to do it. We're gonna, I'm going to get to your questions. But first, here's a little clip about our donation philosophy and way you can help us out. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com. And we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving, to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. All right, let's have at it. We start, we, this show itself was a question. So it's only right that we let other people ask questions besides ourselves. Let's see what you guys are thinking about in the chat as we went along here. Our first question comes to us via Mary. Do the evil spirits matter as much as the angels and the good spirits? Now, it depends on exactly what you mean by matter. I was talking before about a spiritual sort of ecosystem, right? Everybody plays a role in that ecosystem. Uh, Swedenborg says that no matter what, you're doing, you contribute. Although evil spirits, according to him, people, which are just people who have made harmful pursuits the center of their life, they don't know they're contributing to the whole, uh, and they 
don't wouldn't like the idea. Swedenborg actually talked to evil spirits, and he said, you know that you're actually helping the people you try to attack out because you're helping them grow spiritually, and they were very offended by that. They want to be causing harm, but divine providence is crafty enough that it gets everybody to help out. Uh, kind of like in an ecosystem, even animals who are predatory and, and you know, like animals do, just looking out for themselves w- without really knowing it are contributing to, uh, you know, the ecological stability of the whole thing because they're keeping populations in check and that kind of thing. So similarly, everybody is contributing. However, the the uses that evil spirits are providing are not as as productive as the uses that good spirits are providing because it helps when you're actually trying to do something. That's the point of us following this goodness in the first place has become more and more helpful. But in terms of mattering, Swedenborg says that angels would gladly trade their place with any spirit that's choosing hell if it meant that spirit could be happy in heaven. But the evil spirits don't want heaven. They don't like mutual love. So it's not like God thinks less about evil people who are immersed in evil or angels care less about them. They matter just as much as a conscious being that you'd want to have happy and want to not have living a destructive life, but they're not contributing as much to the whole. So those are a couple of answers to your question. It's a great one. Let's look at the next one. This is Matt. How common or possible is it to see angels without having to have a near-death experience or dying? From what I've heard, <clears throat> quite common. For Swedenborg, it was super common. He All of his spiritual experiences came without any kind of physical distress surrounding them. It wasn't accidents he was having that were triggering these things. For him, it was every day. Now, as far as other people go, it seems to me that when we do a show about angels, or we ask questions about it, or I read books about it, people have had a lot of little experiences. It's some kind of dream, or or they often talk about there was an angel that gave them a specific, like, don't do this right now, wait, do this, or just a feeling of a presence or a hand. It seems like spiritual experiences like that are, are quite common, and there's not really good statistics on it, uh, but... I know that with near-death experiences, they were saying some huge number, like 4 or 5% of the whole population has had one of these things. So I think when you expand that to all kinds of spiritual or supernatural experiences, it's it's fairly common. A lot of people, a lot of people are having them. Probably you know people uh, that have had some kind of experience like that. So certainly possible, yes, and probably common as well. Thanks. All right, let's look at the next one. This is Goldie. So how do you get help to stop evils from others that come at the innocent? Prayer, what kind? What does Swedenborg say? Yes, so Swedenborg is big into this pairing of love and wisdom. So love is, you know, do good to everyone. Wisdom is the way you do good to people varies. For example, if somebody is potentially harming someone, an innocent person, you may be exercising love to them by stopping them from doing that. You're exercising love for the person that they would have victimized, but also to that person who's going to cause the harm, it doesn't do any good to them to have them harm someone. That confirms them further in their evil, which leads to all kinds of spiritual problems. So you can be very strict with someone. Swedenborg talks about you know putting somebody in jail, turning them over to a judge, and that that's actually the greatest love in that scenario, because that's going to lead to preventing them from doing more harm, and to their own correction. And to to have them face the consequences of what they're doing is the only hope for them to reject it overall. So you can uh, 
pray, and I wonder if you're talking about like spiritual kind of attacks or prayer matters. Swedenborg seems to indicate that it matters more as far as yourself. Like if you're looking for, can you give me wisdom of how I'm supposed to deal with this person? Swedenborg talks about prayers being effective when you're asking for spiritual things, which often are, are things in yourself. But I'd say, you know, it doesn't hurt either way. But figuring out the best concrete action to take to try to, to the best of your ability, prevent harm is certainly within line of, of love and, and goodness. It's the love and wisdom together. So the more that we understand what people need, what they don't need, the more we can know when is someone crossing the line toward somebody else. All right, let's do one more question here, since the, these have been great. This is Sean. What is Swedenborg's take on suicide? We, we did a short clip about it. He barely mentions suicide. He talks about it twice. Um, and I think it's twice. Once he talks about somebody who had killed himself with a knife in the spiritual world, they couldn't get the knife out of their hand. He didn't say how long they'd been going about like this, and obviously I don't think that would be forever. But, so it doesn't have a lot of specific commentary on it. It does seem like it certainly causes some problems in the other world. Um, But then again, he's not, there have been other religions that say suicide is an automatic ticket to hell, right? Which that is, Swedenborg, nothing is an automatic ticket to hell in Swedenborg. Hell is a state of mind where you choose what's evil and love it. Suicide, often when people commit suicide, they're not in their right minds. And Swedenborg says anything that's chosen when we're not free and rational is not really a, a part of us. You know, it's it certainly causes all kinds of chaos, and, I, and anybody who was in the wrong state of mind and did it and then realized on the other side what they had done, I'm sure would, would really want to get that back. But it doesn't mean if you know somebody who's committed suicide that they go to hell. He never, he certainly doesn't advocate it. It's, you know, as we said, as we saw in this episode, there was that number about why are we, why do some people die early and some don't? So if you're here, no matter how bad things seem here, you're here for a reason. There's still good things that need to happen for you, for the spiritual world, for other people. So there's, I don't think, I don't think there would be a circumstance in which you should be taking your own life if you're still alive. And I'm not going to get into the like euthanasia thing if you have a terminal illness. I don't know. I don't know how to weigh in on that. But in general, suicide, um, it's not, it's not automatic ticket to hell. It does cause harm. It does cause problems in the other world. Um, but it's not a cut-and-dried thing. You never know truly what's in somebody's heart and somebody's mind. But what we're trying to show you in this episode is if you've got life, there's it's a valuable thing to have, and you want to keep it because it's doing so much good that we're really only going to fully realize when we get to the other side, but my, my sense is that every moment here is really precious, and it's kind of like putting away money early for retirement. You put it away now, it comes back just so many fold in the future. And the work we do now, when life is hard, when life is mundane, when life is confusing, is so worth it in, in not only what it'll do for us on the other side, but what it does for the whole human race. Because remember, we're going to go be part of this great big thing, but we got to take the time here to get shaped into being just that very right part. Thanks, guys. This has been great. Really great to be back. I know I'm saying the word great a lot, but it's a great word. And we're excited to be back on our Monday schedule. So next week, we will have another episode for you. We talked a little bit about heaven in this episode, but next episode, we're going to talk about just why you should be hyped up that heaven exists, the nature of it, and why it's getting bigger and better all the time, not just 
on a grand scale, but on an individual level and on an interconnected level, the scope of just how cool a thing we're all headed for. That's next week. Hope you'll join us then. Thanks. Thanks.